0: So how are you doing with your operating systems
1: today? My operating systems are doing just fine.
0: Oh, that's reassuring.
1: <laughs> it's one of them is is a bit hard to interact with because you know on on the night between Saturday and Sunday, you want to do something fun, you want to do something, you know, calming so you can can get into bed. So all that And so I decided to install Nixus.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, because uh, that seemed like a good idea. Or rather, that's that's a bit of a lie, because I had a broken installation of Nixus already. Because I hadn't really found uh, the EFI partition or found out how to install all that stuff. But this time I had a plan. Oh. Yeah. Uh, So I found that my EFI partition was on SDE5, so I mounted it on slash boot slash EFI, it was very good, and then I ran the Nexus Rebuild uh, command, which does all the magic stuff and writes an image to rise the kernel to the EFI partition so I can start it. Uh, So that's cool. Is that like
0: VM Linus?
1: uh kind of i think the um, linus is already is involved in that
0: yeah i recently spent some time in my efi partition as well so uh, (laughs) maybe we'll get into that next yeah uh
1: so so i did that and then i thought there's a heck of a lot of garbage here i probably should mount yeah, I probably should mount my EFI partition to slash boot in sla- instead of slash EFI because I got a really strange path of uh, where Nexus were. Uh, but I should really get rid of the garbage too. So I ran uh, rm-rf slash boot slash EFI. And uh, uh, then I had an empty EFI partition um and i think it it only took me 10 seconds to realize (laughs) that i had done a bad (laughs) so (laughs) then i unmounted the EFI partition mounted it to uh, slash boot i think i tried to yeah something like that uh and then i ran the whole uh, Nixus rebuild command again Uh, And then I rebooted the the computer and I could boot into Nixus and Arch. But I couldn't boot into Windows anymore because uh, the Windows starting stuff wasn't there anymore. Because I deleted it. Uh. I'm just (laughs) impressed
0: that you recovered. So the running system let you rebuild uh, boot EFI, which was very nice of
1: it. Uh, That was easy. That was the easy part. So yeah, I, assume, <laughs>
0: assuming you know what to do, it's <laughs> quite easy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, you know, we've talked a lot about Linux and all that, but I guess I've always been a bit of a, uh, a reckless one. And uh, these things have a tendency to happen when I uh, work with my own computers. So I learn how to fix it. It's like uh, I was a master at setting up uh, LAN networks in um, Windows 98 because nothing ever worked. Yeah. So I became really good at it. Uh, so I think it's the same here. Uh, so yeah, I have have a great relation with with the Nixes now. And then I tried to start i3 and it didn't find my keyboard nor my mouse. So I I don't know what's the <laughs> next step it's it's as usual it's the um, share of the linux desktop
0: yeah so i think it was monday that i decided to to settle one of my sort of uh, day of the linux desktop experiences that i had where so i'm on pop os nice and i was doing an upgrade and I thought I was doing the upgrade the way they asked me to and the, the way I was supposed to. And maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I'm not sure at this point. But when I... So I did the update and then I kept on working away at the computer because I didn't have time to do the reboot just then. Yep. Next time I rebooted, the computer just starts to a green, gray screen. Huh. Now, typically it shows a gray screen where I get to type in my disk encryption password. That was not the case now. And after a while, it crashed to a busy Box with an error message. Nice. An unresponsive <laughs> busybox with an error message. Whoa. Which was sort of insult to injury that I couldn't type anything in the prompt. So that was fun. Huh. What happened? And with some digging, I found like, oh, there's a recovery thing you can access, which, which might help. Uh, so if I hold space when I reboot Pop! OS, it will pop up. Place where I can go into a recovery mode, so that's essentially the live, live USB, or it will offer the previous uh, install previous to updating. So it had a config called old kern that I could select, yep. and when I selected that one, it booted just fine. Hmm. Or ra- rather, it gave me the <laughs> the proper prompt for typing my encryption uh, password, and then booted just fine. And I've just, haven't been able to figure out exactly how to fix that for a while. And I I did some digging around, but didn't spend much time trying. Uh, I just tried to find someone who had the exact same error and actually solutions. And none of the solutions I found worked, uh, but I didn't do an exhaustive job. And this morning I was like, ah, it's finally time to take care of this. Because every time I needed to restart the computer. And uh, let's be clear like with a linux server you very rarely have to reboot with a linux desktop where you do a lot of weird usb work uh, like tons of video devices it's not entirely unusual for things to crap out Uh, they're probably recoverable but i don't know how to recover them so (laughs) uh, every now and then it's like, oh, this is no longer recognizing these USB ports. Uh I'll just reboot. And it always fixes it. So when that happens, I would also end up in at this gray death prompt unless I was there to keep the spacebar pressed. Yep. Uh and it made me a little bit sad that my system was broken, but I didn't have proper time to fix it and I still had work to do, so I just booted the old kernel and went on my way. But now I wanted to fix it. So I, I dug in a bit, uh, and that led me to boot EFI. And I found someone who's, who was like, okay, it seems like my NVMe crypt module is not loading due to some sort of cryptcom conf or whatever it was. So I dug into boot EFI. I was like, oh, but the, the line required is there. And someone said like, oh, my config looked fine, but apparently I needed to add an end of file to this file. And I've been experimenting with that, but I haven't had any success so far. But I did at least change the default boot entry to the working one. And I changed, I actually saved copies of the working ones. Uh, So it was the VM Linus and the init RD or something, init something that were just called sort of previous. And I bet that if I did another update, they would be overwritten. So it felt like a bit of a time bomb until I had a completely broken system. So I saved copies of those, updated the entries and worked with the known good ones. And now it reboots fine uh, to a proper prompt that works and I can sign in and all of that. Good save. But... I still like I, I'm still not on the new kernel, whatever I updated. <laughs> like I, I'm not up entirely updated. I'm partially updated and I can see that apt is holding some packages back. I don't know if that's uh, intended and like normal for for where Pop OS is right now, or if it's because I am on a weird mixed setup. Yeah. So yeah, that that's uncomfortable. And like my experience using Linux for desktop has been quite good. Like, it's not my first time either. And you can absolutely never have these types of issues. But damn, uh, no one wants the sort of, oh, update. And then this seemingly bricked your computer and recovery is weird and arcane. That's not, it's not a great feeling. Indeed.
1: But they are recoverable in a a way then.
0: Typically, they're more recoverable than the Windows version of it. Yeah. I have had Windows brick on update. Very rarely, but I've had it happen too much recently. Like, I've had it once or twice um, in the last year. Wow. Uh, And that was like a Windows update ran, and then I tried the repairs, I tried the rollbacks, nothing straight reinstall was the only thing that worked
1: how disappointing uh,
0: that sucks yeah because you need to install so many things for windows to be uh bearable
1: well i don't i don't use windows for anything else than gaming so i need to install steam but <laughs> maybe you use it for something
0: and nvidia drivers probably yeah
1: yeah absolutely uh but the almost always happens almost automatic. no it probably doesn't happen automatically (laughs) uh it was (laughs) i installed windows the last time i installed windows on one of my machines was like eight years ago so i've forgotten all the horrible stuff yeah so yeah
0: like no os is fun to set up from scratch unless you're feeling very enthusiastic and have a lot of time yeah and that rarely coincides with oh it crashed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, it's self destructed. <laughs> Thankfully I have a week to spare and nothing to do. Yeah. L- and lots of patience.
1: I think one of those is where I've had a really good experience is free BSD. Hmm. I just followed the manual and it worked. But it wasn't quite old hardware too, so I guess and not fancy hardware in any kind of way. So I guess all the drivers were there and yeah. Hmm. Uh so I, I recommend that. If you need one, to have a nice installation experience, something that keeps working.
0: I've heard good things yeah. about FreeBSD, but yeah, I don't like wide hardware support. is is not something I'm not I'm willing to step away from. I don't know how good it is over there, but I wouldn't make a bet on it.
1: It's, if I recall correctly, it's a year or two behind, because not too many people are working on it. Uh, it's quite cool. It's a system that's actually uh, built together rather than grown together, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. So uh, I guess this is the year of the Linux desktop, right?
0: I, I feel like whenever something goes horribly wrong in this these fascinating ways, that's when we you're having a day of the Linux desktop.
1: Yeah, like the day of the tentacle. But I mean,
0: the Linux desktop is pretty.
1: It's a pretty good. Like, uh, it's, it's
0: not as sort of cohesive an experience as macOS, which I've used a lot. Yeah. Uh, but it also isn't an, a, as sort of stubborn as macOS is these days <laughs> about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing and that kind of thing. I mean, you don't get f- a ton of advertising in your OS the way you do with Windows these days.
1: Wow. Uh, When did Windows start with advertising?
0: I don't know if it was Windows 9 or Windows 10. Around there.
1: That's so strange.
0: I find it absolutely horrible, just disgusting. It's like you pay for this operating system and they feel like they uh, are free to pitch things to you. It's like, no, that's that's not how this relationship is supposed to work. You're supposed to provide something I can trust, yes, and something I can work off of, and that can be a tool. No, oh, oh, no, sorry, you're not the Enterprise. <laughs> and also, even in the Enterprise, you have to know what policies to tweak to get rid of it. Wow, <laughs> some I I saw someone oh, on the security God. Twitter. Note that thank you, Microsoft. Now, Candy Crush is part of my
1: uh, threat model <laughs> that makes the threat model better. It does, but it's
0: funnier. Wow, uh, it's it's weird. It's uh, like oh, choice of OS these days feels like a very, very poor situation where there are really no good choices, it's all trade offs. Yep, and you can make all of them work great and work fine for you, but I'm like by default I'm slightly unimpressed by all of them. I think Linux is the one that's most sort of value aligned for me, and I think if I did KDE, I might get uh, sort of my ideal experience honestly, where where it feels more Mac like, <laughs> like things fit together. Yeah, Uh, But I didn't do KDE and it's hard to retrofit KDE and I'm really, really going to have a hard time switching bindings from the i3 regolith ones I've gotten used to. Switching bindings without switching sort of your entire OS is a pain. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm waiting for, no, I'm not waiting for anything. I just hope that everything will get just good enough in quite a short while uh i find though that ubuntu isn't too horrible to run just for for work or something
0: yeah no it's fine i think pop os is slightly slightly nicer in some ways but clearly it, there are some challenges i mean uh it's it's newer so i don't think it's quite as it's not necessarily as stable but i don't i don't know maybe the exact same issue exists in ubuntu that i had I don't know.
1: Does Pop! OS do rolling releases? I'm not sure what their schedule is. Uh, It
0: it seems to line up sort of with Ubuntu, but I I, I haven't investigated it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, it's one of those things that happen. It's one of the interesting things with running Arch is that I expect that kind of stuff to happen all the time. So when it doesn't happen, I'm extra happy. Living on the bleeding edge and all that. Speaking of bleeding, I'm going to do one of my uh, patented really bad segues. This one is a seven pounder. I, I like speaking of bleeding. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Speaking of bleeding, how do you learn best? How do you keep sharp? How do you keep your, your skills honed? Uh, how do you sharpen your axes uh, programming accents in this case. I
0: thought you were going to say, how do you sharpen your accent? Which was...
1: It's like yeah, I how try do you sharpen to? your accent? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can uh, spend more time in Göteborg. I don't know what the accent that was. Norwegian, maybe? We
0: can definitely uh, speak the Swedish accent. We can do that. But we will not.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Indeed. Yeah. So first let's let's be clear. You're making an assumption here that I stay sharp, that I stay up to date, that I sharpen my axe and that I I learn. <laughs> maybe I maybe I just stuck 10 years ago.
1: No, I have some insider info. You you can't do this. <laughs> I have some insider info. I know <laughs> that you actually are learning continuously or at least discreetly. Uh, So I know that you just read a book, for instance. Uh, I know that you changed your whole skill set or something, what you work in from Python to Elixir. Uh, So (laughs) don't try that one on me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So I think uh, a more... Challenging question, or so sort of the the twist I would take if I was asking me this question is probably how do you stop?
1: <laughs>
0: Fair enough. No, but I'm I'm terrible at sitting still. Uh, I'm very impatient. I get bored easily. I absolutely crave a variety. So if nothing is happening, that is teaching me new things. If there's no novelty in what I'm doing, I will find it. and Or I will make it. <laughs> yep. So with that unchecked, uh, that can lead to poor choices. So I try to keep it entertained in safer <laughs> surroundings, such as my live stream. Like when I live stream, that's typically me do, doing something new or poking something new or trying if something will work or bouncing my ideas off of, off of the world but that's that's a very small piece of my week like it's an hour or so so that's obviously not where i learn the most it's it's one of my ways of sort of challenging myself but it's not where i learn the most i guess so for a long time or for a decent period of time in the in the last decade I, i've spend a ton of time on on Hacker News, which can surface all sorts of interesting, useful things. And it's not like I learn all that much on Hacker News, but the things that surface on Hacker News often lead to exploration and learning for me. And just generally that, like I'm, I'm active on Twitter, that also brings up stuff every now and then. But also that my brain is sort of wired to to keep just connecting dots. And if I'm, if I see like, oh, this could be interesting. Now, if I wanted to do that, I would need a way to generate SVGs. Can I, is there a good tool for generating SVGs like that? Oh, in any of the languages I, I use actually. Oh yeah, okay. This tool plus this tool could be used for this I wonder how hard it would be to tie them together. And then I have an experiment to do. So that's one of the ways. But I think I just pick up on a ton of different points out in the world. And then I start wiring them up in my brain or figuring out which ones aren't of interest to me. Or I'm not sure. I think that's a part of my learning. Like mapping the landscape and also... Reading up on a ton of different things at a fairly s- superficial level, and then if I if something sort of catches my brain and makes me super interested, then I'll start picking it apart and figuring out what makes it tick, and that's probably where I learn the most. Sort of oh, WebGL is interesting. Now I accidentally learned a bunch about three D. <laughs> How do you learn?
1: I don't know really. Anymore, I I one of the
0: well, you've been to school, so maybe you stopped learning after that. Yeah, maybe you were done.
1: No, I think I I stopped learning during that, uh, <laughs> uh, or I've forgotten a lot of stuff. At least, uh, is uh, when when exam date is has passed, everything is gone. I think one of the more uh, interesting ways I've learned to learn. Uh, during my time at Schalmer's is to uh, read academic papers uh, because that's a skill of its own.
0: Yeah, I would like to be good at that, but I am not. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a paper about reading papers. I think the name is something like How to Read an Academic Paper. I can send it to you. Somewhere.
0: There's a book about reading books as well. I think it's called How to Read a Book. It is? I believe so. Really?
1: <laughs> I
0: wonder if it's the same guy. Nice He's making how-tos.
1: He has his genre.
0: Yeah, so it would by now. I guess he would have a TV show about how to watch TV. Wow. But I don't know. Cool.
1: I would assume so. Indeed. Yeah, so uh that's one aspect of it, but curiosity I think is very important for me. Uh just it seems to be important to you too uh so when i when i encounter something that that sparks my interest i start asking questions or googling or something like that that's why i know way too much or i knew way too much about earthworms <laughs> then i forgot it again <laughs> but i know where, where to find
0: yeah, it yeah maybe you didn't have a strong arena for applying your knowledge about earthworms
1: indeed Uh, But they do have cool names, like the Nightcrawler, and uh, that's the only one I remember.
0: No, that's an X-Men.
1: Maybe they are both.
0: Pretty sure he's not a worm.
1: (laughs) But the worm might be an Mm -hmm. X-Men. So I guess that's, that's also a part of being a nerd or something. Like this interest in everything. Or being a Renaissance man, if you are born three hundred years earlier or four hundred years earlier. I suppose there were Renaissance women too, but yeah, the world were was kinda of shit back then, so come on, they were enlightened. Or or being enlightened. Yeah, but shitty enlightened. Yeah. Like they had they had this um lead lights, many lumen. Uh it was cool. Also many watts. <laughs> Lots of many watts. So that's one aspect. And uh, also, hmm, I don't know how to how to. Uh, I haven't been for that too long time in this career. Or no, I kind of changed careers, and uh, so I I learned quite a lot of uh, stuff. Then I went to Chalmers and learned other stuff. And uh, here's my take on on higher education. I don't know if that's a name in English, but whatever. Uh, On universities, there are two things you can... Three things, this will be good. Uh, You can learn at the university why they're good. You can uh, get a good contact network. And that's uh, important, I guess. No, that's important. Uh, And then you can learn like the basic skills that will always be useful. It's more useful to learn Lambda Calculus than to learn Java, for instance. Because Java will change over time, but Lambda Calculus, is it will still look like Lambda Calculus.
0: You don't think they'll release Lambda Calculus 2 anytime soon? Nope. That's disappointing. I thought it was a living thing. Oh.
1: No, it's a dead language, like Latin. That's why it's good to learn Latin too. Uh, and so that's one part of it, lear, learn an ancient lisp or something, because then you learn the... Uh, things that everything else is built upon. And that's a really good skill to have because it helps you see those patterns to help you learn even more later.
0: Yeah, I think university computer science tends to be a, a bottom-up approach,
1: mostly. Yep, absolutely. If it's a good one.
0: you you lay the foundation and everything builds on everything else. And ideally, you will, you will achieve a very comprehensive, stable foundation of knowledge and then go wild off of that. Yes, I did not go a a bottoms-up approach. I'm a very, very top-down learner.
1: Yeah, so that works too. It's just another way. I am a dwarf and I'm digging a hole. (laughs) Diggy-diggy hole. Uh, So, yeah, that's... um I guess that's my take on on universities. Uh, Nowadays, I primarily learn by trying very hard to do something and then Googling and asking stupid questions. That's also important. There's, I've forgotten her last name. Uh, Her first name is Julia. She has an amazing blog post on how to ask questions.
0: Oh, let's see, is this Julia Evans? yes it is
1: and she has quite a bit uh, quite some scenes too i think yeah when different stuff in them they are delightful all of them
0: yeah tons of sort of how to how to bash and stuff yep Uh, exactly uh, so you have a manager i believe is one of the sort of uh, scenes she's put together and how to so good how to have a manager i believe yeah (laughs) help i have a manager is the name of the scene (laughs) yeah yeah uh, she has a very very cool thing going on yeah
1: you want to be a wizard oh yeah uh so uh, that blog post is good her scenes are good i recommend them so yeah i suppose that's another way to learn to read her scenes to read the blog
0: yeah i i couldn't point to a single source that's like oh this is where I learned everything or like oh O'Reilly books I always go for O'Reilly books rather I've I've gone to many different sources of infotainment through the years like for a long time I read uh, the daily what the fuck (laughs) nice that is just examples upon examples of uh, horrible Uh, systems and terrible applications and mind-boggling coding choices which is a way to learn like seeing what could be bad and especially like sort of reading the comments and seeing like oh this is not so bad or this is this is not the actually upsetting thing this is much more upsetting or like the discussion is some has sometimes been very enlightening or And just sort of following the field in that way, where in these informal ways. So Slashdot was was one of my earliest sources of sort of tech news. That's not so relevant these days, but it still exists.
1: It was a good place.
0: I'll, I'll not spoil where, but I accidentally bumped into Commander Taco in a Discord. Huh. That was interesting.
1: Random encounter.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, so, Commander Taco, for context, the person who did most of running slashdot. Ah, cool. No, but things like these zines, or if you prefer going video, like uh, I guess you, there are tons of YouTube channels and TikToks and programming and and stuff. Uh, Twitter sure can be helpful, but anywhere where you're sort of exposed continuously to technology to the kind of technology so in this case mostly programming uh, so that you can pick up the breadth because you're almost always going to be working with specific things day in and day out if you're working with programming yep Uh, even if it's a wide array of things you're often most often working with them specifically like It's not like, oh, today I will be doing networking. It's probably like, today I will be fixing SSL certificates. Yeah. And when you're in the midst of fixing SSL certificates, you might have no reason to really grok how the crypto is supposed to work or how the network parts of TLS are supposed to work. Uh, And you like i i don't fully grok those things like it's i've never dug into them properly but i have a fairly good hunch about how it all fits together and i don't think i got that from installing a bunch of ssl certificates but rather from the combination of having dealt with them and having read things that are related for some reason it's not like i went out and like oh what's an ssl certificate and how do i use them that's not what i went looking for probably (laughs) yeah Uh, at at some point like how do i get one sure that's probably what i've been looking at and at at the time when i learned how to get them uh they cost
1: money (laughs) yeah and they were bureaucratic hoop jumping exercise yeah so yeah uh, I think podcasts too are uh, very nice. Yeah, that's
0: a good way of absorbing. Yeah. Uh, both, I think. So something I've I've realized with working with some less experienced developers is how important it is to start building your language, not programming language, but language of programming. Yep. The more, sp- the more usefully you can wield the sort of slightly jargony parts of programming the easier things get when you like for a long time I was not particular about like oh what are attributes parameters methods functions like there are so many things that are sort of the same in programming Yep. but if you're particular about it they are often fairly well defined or at least well defined in contexts so In HTML, an attribute is a very specific thing. A value is another thing. Indeed. And when you're talking about URLs, query parameters are a very specific thing. And if you know what they are, and someone tells you, oh, we're using query params for that, that tells you a lot about what what to expect. Yes. Oh, you can sort it by passing a sort query param for the field you want to sort on. That's enough for you to know how to write a query against something a lot of the time if you know that these are not just woo-woo words, but they are specific words with specific meanings. Yes. But I don't think you can just study your way to that. I think you have to sort of absorb it <laughs> over time.
1: Yeah. You need to save it in the brain somehow.
0: So I think podcasts are very good for, for hearing developers talk about software development. Yep. Yep. And if you already have a lot of that in your life, maybe you don't need podcasts,
1: but sometimes
0: uh, the the developers in your life might be boring while the developers on podcasts might be doing more interesting things.
1: That might happen. Could. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, has never happened to me. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> there are good videos, too. Uh, but you already said that TikTok, YouTube, whatnot.
0: Yeah, so conference talks is probably the only type of programming videos I I regularly watch. And that's, that's a little bit infrequent and depending on mood and depending on how interesting the talk seems. Yeah, do you binge them? Sometimes. Like, I have a kid now, so I, I very rarely get to do anything in a binge. Oh, yeah. Like, I could be watching conference talks after after she's asleep, but that's typically not what I'm doing then, and I'm probably spending time with with my wife or unwinding, which is not typically what I use conference talks for. Indeed. When I was at a boring job, I often had a... Or when I was bored at a job, the job itself wasn't necessarily boring, but I was at times bored. Or not so keen on what I was doing. and Or doing repetitive work. Then I could often put a conference talk on in the background. Almost all of my watching something in the background. Has entirely died out since I became a freelancer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm definitely applying myself a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> it's just. Uh, I, I'm very engaged with the work. Compared to what i've sometimes been yep and that just means that it feels like it would be absurd to put something on in the background yeah would just be a distraction
1: i found that too it's a huge risk with having a job that's fun that feels important that's like yeah it's um hard to stop working it's hard to i just gotta finish this thing i'm almost there yeah and and put the the engagement level or what you want to call it the effect meter put it on 50 percent instead of 11. 11 11%? percent or 110 percent no 110 percent um it only goes to 100 percent of course uh do you ever read uh, technical books uh well you've spoiled
0: that a little bit
1: yeah of course
0: but very rarely for the last probably dozen years or so, I've been reading uh, Code Complete, the second edition. I'm still in my first read-through. Um, nice. I, I still have a bookmark in it, so technically I haven't stopped reading it. I haven't lost my yeah. place.
1: <laughs> Code Complete, which book is that? What What is it about?
0: It tells you how to name variables and stuff. It's, no, it, it's a... I don't know. It's a gray book that's uh, that seems to say a fair number of reasonable things about computers. It's huh, It's not very sort of I don't think it's a, uh, controversial at all, which I think clean code is.
1: Yeah, I tried to read clean code, but I couldn't. I I became so angry. Uh so uh, I I <laughs> threw away the pdf i had absolutely legally gotten
0: yeah um and i've read so i've read some agile books when i was doing a lot of sort of pro- project management the stuff back at running the agency yeah and i read read don't make me think at some point which is more of a ux designy uh, philosophy book i guess I've read fairly few and not very many in-depth programming books. I did read Designing Data-Intensive Applications recently, and that is a phenomenal book if you want to understand databases and data systems. It gives you a strong foundation without being boring, and then it goes into absolutely leading-edge, wild evented systems and distributed databases and like oh how what guarantees can we achieve while maintaining performance across multiple uh, nodes and like it it's a fun ride the thing is i'm not sure it's useful at any level uh like useful at regardless of what level you're at or sort of what your experience is i don't know it might be it might be great for everyone Um, but it might also be entirely impenetrable if you haven't had an interest in distributed systems for a few years i don't know i I have a super hard time divorcing myself of the context which is my own experience
1: but learning is all about context so it's
0: it's cool and spending a lot of time in sort of the elixir ecosystem means you end up hearing a bunch about uh, at least if you're if you're digging, uh, you end up hearing a lot about distributed systems, yep, and if you listen to sort of elixir Outlaws uh, the podcast, they've definitely talked about a fair bit of distribu- distributed system ideas, and this book yep. sort of filled in a lot of detail for me. It made me realize why MapReduce is a big deal and sort of how that works. yeah, uh, it was a ton of a ton of interesting reading it wasn't necessarily the easiest read mostly because it's a sort of dense subject but I think they that book does a really good job of, of presenting what could be an absolutely horrifyingly thick topic in a way that builds your way through it sort of.
1: yeah it also has lovely illustrations of the maps of stuff oh yeah so they make me happy. I haven't got too far into it. But.
0: Yeah, I was reading it on a Kindle, so I didn't really stop to enjoy it, I guess.
1: Oh, okay. I'm going to get myself an e-reader any day now so I can read all the books I've bought on Humble Bumbles. And
0: since I was on actually on a flight or two uh, recently, I also am more than halfway through Sasha Uric's, uh elixir in action is it good yeah i think so uh the only possible downside of that book like it, it comes with the warmest recommendations from everyone i've spoken to in the elixir community there is no other book i've heard recommended as much uh programming in Elixir, programming elixir and programming phoenix both come uh, come close at sort of spot two and three but that book stands stands uh, at least a head and a shol- pair of shoulders above everything else and how often i hear it uh, told to be like this is how i got into elixir or this is what really made me understand why erlang is great to build on it is it really is i think a great introduction to elixir for someone that's already uh, a programmer and already feels sort of comfortable as a programmer it's a little bit dated for sort of the details of some of the syntax and some of the standard library of Elixir just because it was early and it hasn't been updated to, to match the, the latest. So, so Some things that it suggests using for certain things have been deprecated and replaced and simplified. So meh. But uh, I also skimmed a whole lot because it turns out the way I've tackled Elixir I've filled out most of that information. Yeah. So I've also interviewed Sasha and that kind of thing. So so I've, I've definitely had conversations about a lot of a lot of the stuff. But it's a it's been a very good read. But I've skimmed heavily just due to already being very familiar with Elixir Erlang OTP and and the ideas that it's presenting. Because those ideas are foundational to the community at this point.
1: Well, I really hope so. Because otherwise, you'll get really strange, elixir code out there. Uh, have you read it? I haven't read it. I should really. Do you read, you
0: read books to learn?
1: I do, uh, not as much as I should, but I do. Uh, and I listened to a podcast some weeks ago where someone was like, was really super enthusiastic about uh, reading books because I had found some books which. Uh, made them they said that they really mastered <laughs> an area of, of some development stuff uh, by reading it in a way that they couldn't have done by reading blog posts or whatnot so that was fascinating i like
0: the idea of mastering things i'm not sure i want to put in the effort of learning to master things. yeah right <laughs> it's like a lot of
1: work. <laughs> uh, i'm so i'm it's a heck of, heck of a lot of work I like reading. I learn things from it. I need to read more, I think. I buy more of those tech books or get my employer to buy them for me because they are related to what I do at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, had that conversation today, uh, but rather in reverse where
1: one of, one
0: of my team members uh, said I think I should be I should get one of these books and uh, do some reading uh, because i want to i want to see if if reading is a good way for me to learn programming concepts nice and i was like yeah just send the receipts cool uh, 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 and they they chuckled a little bit uh as if i was joking i'm like sorry i uh, let, me, let me be clear. i'm not joking if you buy a programming book send the receipts <laughs> this company covers <laughs> that <laughs> I think that's something I picked up from, uh, that's also sort of weird, uh, weird learning source, uh, blogs in general. So Joel, the Joel test, uh, Joel Spolsky fame.
1: Yep. The man, the myth, the legend.
0: Dude's been involved in a ton of different things. I guess uh, Trello and Stack Overflow are both related to Spolsky, right?
1: Yep and uh, for Greek software yeah
0: i think that that feels less relevant these days but absolutely yeah uh, sort of og big uh, programming blogger probably not active blogging these days but the joel test was sort of a very simple way to score whether an employer is a good place to do programming work and it's like, it's absolutely not a flawless method, but it holds up surprisingly well. Uh, are you familiar with the test? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I read through it. Me and a friend of mine, uh, we went through it um, maybe half a year ago, and we found out that it's very dated by now. But you can probably translate it to uh, some kind of modern day stuff.
0: Yeah, but it's it's things like, do you write tests? I think one of the fun ones is do you fix bugs before writing new code, which I've never, ever
1: seen a company do. Yeah, that one's interesting.
0: Uh, because it sort of implies that you can finish fixing all of the bugs. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not convinced is a thing. But other things that it mentions is do you make sure that programmers have the best tools? and within reason i think that's a good heuristic it's not an absolute because not all not all good organizations can afford to give to provide the best computers and the best training materials and the best access to courses and the all the books you want but many many that employ developers can do that trivially yeah And if they cheap out on that in the name of sort of being frugal and not overspending or whatever, it's usually, it makes me question their big picture thinking a little bit because developers are so much more expensive in salary than any sort of extravagance you might uh, put into into their gear. You don't, I don't think you have to push the, to this to the sort of nth degree. But I think you can absolutely let your developers essentially pick whatever MacBook they want and maybe just place a limit at, oh, okay, let's say it's $6,000 or $7,000 so that it doesn't... So they don't smack in the eight terabyte drive, or let them do that, and then you can ask them why? Why did? How did you feel this was reasonable? What are you gonna do with all of that space? <laughs> I think it's. It sort of indicates that trust. They want you to succeed, so they provide you as much, of whatever you need, that you ask for. And they even offer. actively offer good things yeah, because they want to encourage you to be productive, be successful, do your best work, have everything you need. If your uh, developers sit around, like sit and work in the office and do a lot of sort of compiler heavy stuff, maybe they need a desktop. They probably also need a laptop for travel. That's not an absurd cost for... For the type of salaries a lot of developers command, just like depending on what people need, try to remove those uh, those hindrances. I think, and I've I've definitely run into companies where, oh yeah, you can probably uh, you can get a book, just uh, just uh, check in with uh, with HR first, or like where they're saying yes, but they're not making it
1: easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the big question is, are they saying yes, but their company is so bureaucratically <laughs> burdened that it's... Yeah. Or are they saying yes, but no?
0: Yeah. And then there's the whole sort of going to conferences where, oh, yeah, we can go to a conference per year. Yes. Is there a good reason why it has to stop there? Is there a good reason why it's one per year? Or I can see it as a sort of oh, we make one coordinated outing per year, sure, uh, where maybe everyone goes or most people go in a team. Yeah. But if there's someone who's really engaged with with their technical communities and it overlaps with their work, I bet you'll benefit from shipping them to all of the conferences, essentially.
1: There's a danger with that, though. Maybe they they are so good at networking or have some luck or something, then they find find another place to work. Sure. <laughs>
0: then be better. <laughs> be better
1: than <laughs> the alternative. Yeah, so that, absolutely.
0: I guess that's part of it. Like I, I think companies need to realize that developers have a lot of options, and if the only thing keeping your developers around is that they are and that they find the process of changing jobs cumbersome or a little bit scary or they really don't like interviewing like if then you're holding on to them very tenuously and probably not getting the best out of them either like ah just spoil people a little bit (laughs) like yeah yeah and i this i don't think this should be limited to developers but with the absurd market for developers i just find some companies have have approaches to this which make absolutely no sense to me the like being restrict very restrictive uh like one size should fit everyone or like if you have one size fits all then the size should be fairly fairly roomy (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah and stretchy i suppose but
0: then there are companies that just don't have the budget for it and they have to come on other values so startups is a fairly common uh, example of this where a startup can be uh, cash strapped especially for periods of time yep and then it's very important that uh, appreciation flows that the potential upsides in forms of um, equity or whatever are promising at least yeah or that you really are doing something that people care about like i i could because like i'm more willing to risk work or not make as much money if i care about the thing same here if i'm going to do work i don't particularly care about for a company i don't particularly care for then i want to be very well
1: paid yeah and it also helps if the Employer seems to care about me. Yeah. And not just, uh, we care that you bring in the good monies. But.
0: Yeah. And that's where saying yes to a book is a ludicrously small thing. But the smoother you make that process, uh, the more delighted a person will be, especially if they expected that they might get a no.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Or
0: if you even go so far as an employer to ask, what's the, what's a thing for your work that you've been eyeing for a while that you think would, would actually, uh, help in some way, like, uh, equipment or, uh, learning materials or a service. Just tell me one and then you make that happen. Yep. Yeah. That's that's where my mind is when it comes to, come to de, it comes to these things and i've i've worked at a company that was quite good at doing this uh, in a very general sense not spe- specifically to developers because most of the employees were not developers but they uh we had a ceo that went out of his way every year at least twice to make everyone feel incredibly appreciated sort of special branded gifts and all that stuff but just taking a bit further than you would expect cool trips that were actually fun to go on with a company that was and like it's it's a culture building thing like it doesn't have to be all about money but if you like if you can't throw money at that problem you will have to throw a fair bit of effort if you, want, if you want to establish something great. Yeah. And books are cheap. I
1: think the best thing is to combine those two. Books are very cheap. Conferences
0: are more pricey, but still probably worthwhile.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: They are also a more lasting memory and better sort of, they can be super good team experiences. Cool. Uh, because it, moves you out of your normal place yeah um, but you are especially if you go to a conference where you don't know a ton of people you are still sort of slightly tied up with your team uh, yeah it can be a good thing
1: yeah uh, i was thinking about interruptions and how i know that you work in your own office and your coworkers work in their own office uh, so I don't know how how much interruptions you have during the day, but I work in a quite small conference room along with all my colleagues. Startup life, uh, <laughs> hashtag blessed. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so uh, I live in an interruption, uh, and I can can feel when I when I am at the office. It it usually. I use more energy, and uh, uh, I get less done, unless I am at the office together with my back-end developer colleague, uh, because then we can uh, sit and talk about important stuff. Uh, and now we have found a huge monitor, so we can can take more of the space around the conference table, and uh, <laughs> that's a surprisingly good thing. So I guess that. We need another room. (laughs) Like one developer room and one uh, talk about the important business stuff room. Uh, When the amazing startup I work will get for more money, maybe we can get one.
0: That'll be how they spoil their employees. We didn't
1: just get one room. We got two more rooms. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, But that's also one of those. They pay me quite a lot of money. So, maybe they want to get something back from me, so maybe they should give me good, good photos out there's a good English word for that
0: good conditions,
1: yes, thank you. Good conditions to make my job or to, to do make your job m- well, yeah, to program To pr- exactly. I've started to forget English. this is good
0: yeah there, I mean there's a balance there,
1: two sides there, yeah. Because I want to do a good job too, of course. So Have we we come to some kind of conclusion when it comes to learning?
0: So yeah, if we wanna circle back to, to actually learning rather than getting books, because Yeah. Getting books is good though. It's really good. Getting books yeah. is nice. Uh also getting gear like Raspberry Pis can be a good learning experience. Totally. So that's also one thing I've been doing recently like i I know a fair bit about elixir yep, and I know a ton about web development, so I don't really have I will have to niche niche down fairly deeply to really start learning new things or go for sort of more modern ecosystemy stuff that I don't particularly care about mm-hmm and that's the care again have to have to care about the thing I'm trying to do yep so Getting me some Raspberry Pis and doing Nervous project stuff with it challenges a ton of things I'm not great at, which is some of it's low-level Linux stuff, some of it's uh, networking stuff, some of it's electronic stuff, where all of these are sort of peripheral to what I've been doing, which means there's uh, some good growth possibilities there and i've I've played around with some live streaming with the membrane framework like i I just want to keep expanding my toolbox so whenever whenever i run into an interesting problem i already know part of the solution or have potential
1: solutions at least isn't that kind of bottom-up learning well
0: so so the way i sort of envision how my learning goes is
1: or maybe from the side
0: let's say when i'm tackling When I tackle learning Elixir in Phoenix, I generated a project following the initial tutorial, and then I set up the things they asked me to set up, and then I poked at a few of the uh, things they instructed me to poke at, and then I started building my own thing, running into issues, having to backtrack, figure out what I skipped, uh, and all of that. <laughs> yeah, That's my top-down approach. It's like, I'm trying to build a thing here.
1: Yep, exactly. Trying to make the buttons clicky. Uh,
0: that's exactly how I learned Django as well. Yep. Uh, and then I bothered you when I had questions.
1: Yes, it was legendary. And then
0: to actually build something that resembles a foundation and getting some of that breadth and getting filling in the blanks like sometimes a problem requires me to slow down and like, oh crap, I actually have to figure out how this works now. So I've gone fairly deep, for example, in Elixir's Ecto database library because I needed to do some things that are not um, normal in Ecto. Yep. <clears throat> and I've done that on a few occasions for a few different things. Uh, and then it's like, okay, I have to slow down my pace and I have to do some excruciating uh, in-depth detail learning and just how does this fit together this goes to that one and similarly like I've done passes of that with Elixir itself where hold on this this I don't understand fully okay slow down now I have to understand what I'm doing I don't I can't just do it top down and try something because right now I need to understand why this is failing or why I'm seeing such a why I'm writing so much code that does a, such a crappy job? Oh, it's because I I need to think about what I'm doing, do it in a better way, pick up a new tool, figure it out. Sometimes it's about slowing down and sometimes it's just about picking up a ton of different things that sort of web together into a wider understanding. And I, the experimentation sort of fills, fills that out for me a lot of the time because... I don't think I would have such a wide understanding of certain topics if I was just doing my job. Yeah. The kind of like live streaming video, I only know things about that because I'm interested in doing it. While transcoding video I've done a ton of for work. Those things mesh together and build sort of a good foundation on knowing web media stuff and i i keep finding that whatever i make sure i learn turns out to be somewhat useful at some point so so i just try to learn wide and like jump in feet first nice i don't know i, I see it as a, a top down and then uh, expand when you have to Hmm. Yeah, and then just keep a, keep finding new places to do top down and expand at, <laughs> so and eventually they start overlapping.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, so, would you say that you are a dwarf and you are digging a hole?
0: Yeah, I can never dig too deep. That's the thing.
1: You don't do that. No, you uh, dig lagom. Yes. Yes. Lagom. Yes.
0: Very good. Uh, that's that's the word of the day. No, that's not 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 appropriate to me at all i'm I'm very i'm very bad at lagom <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep i know <laughs> you dig too greedy too <laughs> every time <laughs> every time there's a balrog in every single hole you dig I have
0: so many balrogs you wouldn't believe yeah
1: <laughs> hashtag blessed hashtag balrog